Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Have you ever walked into a room and it's the kind of room where you say, oh man, I just felt so loved when I went there? Like, was there a place in your life that whatever was going on in the world, you came to this place and you felt the love in the room? Hopefully, for a lot of us, it was, it was your home growing up. When you were there, uh, you felt the love between the family members, you felt love for you no matter what happened at school or at, at, on the soccer field or whatever. When you came there, you felt loved and you felt a lot of love in that room. Not everybody that was the case. That wasn't always the case at home. Uh, maybe for you, and this is why teachers can be so awesome, maybe there was a teacher at school that when you, whenever you walked into his or her classroom, you felt the love. You were like, man, they, I'm, I'm loved here. Whatever else is going on at home right now, whatever, I'm loved when I'm in this space. Um, for me, uh, I, I, did, I did have some love at home, and so there, there was that, but I, I definitely felt the love when I walked into the church. Um, not the church I'd gone to in elementary school, but late elementary going into middle school. My friend Mike invited me to church in fifth grade, and he said, Chris, do you believe in God? I said, yeah. And he said, have you been baptized? I said, no. And he said, you should. So I was like, okay. And he's like, you should come to church with me. And so I did. And that was how it started. And I started going to this little church. I think it was sort of a country church in my hometown in Florida, on the west coast of Florida. I started going to this church, and um, it was incredible. When I walked in there, um, somehow I felt the love. They, the people there loved me, and um, they invested in me. My parents were divorced at that time, and so I just went there by myself uh, or with my mom. And then eventually my brother came along as well. And the people there loved our family, our little family. They loved us well. And they invested in us. They taught me things. They taught me about God. And I got baptized there. And it changed the course of my life, changed what I do for a living. It changed um, my destination for eternity because I felt the love when I went there. Now, let me tell you about this church. Um, it was not cool, okay? When I think back to my home church, I think of it as being a little bit, my wife would say, a lot, cheesy. It was cheesy. It was, um, it, it was like... Old school, I guess. It was, it was all the things you might think of as being cool in church. It was none of those things, okay? And, and that was fine. Um, you know, the music was a little bit cheesy. The, the, some of the people were maybe a little bit hokey. And as an 11-year-old going in there, um, my experience at the church is that it was full of old people. Now, to be honest, to be fair, um, at 11, everybody is old people to you, right? So was it extra old. I don't know. It's Florida, probably, like it probably was. But to me, it was like, I mean, there are families there and stuff, but it felt like, oh, there's old people here or whatever. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't hip for 11, rising middle schooler. No, but um, it wasn't like this cool church with like hipsters and tattoos and all that. It was just like this family church with old people. And um, they had something better than cool going on there. They were actually loving and it mattered to me. It mattered to me coming from a broken home. They loved me. They loved my family. They loved other people that had come in. Um, and it makes a difference. And I, I, I think that is uh, fantastic. Um, of all the things we could characterize a church by, 
I would hope that when people talk about the church and when they talk about this church, I, I would hope that people would say loving because I think loving should be near the top of what we are as believers. Um, and I'm not sure today in America that when most people think of church, they think loving, honestly. That's not maybe the top of their list. But I think it should be. And the writer of the letter that we've been looking at, John, apparently he thought love was pretty central as well and that the church should be loving because he wrote a letter in the late first century AD. He writes three letters actually to the churches that are around the city of Ephesus in western uh, now Turkey but Asia Minor. He writes letters to these churches and he's encouraging them and a major theme of this letter is love. This is why we called it Summer of Love as we're studying through this letter. A major theme of it is, is about how to be loving and the value of it. And so we're going to talk about it more than once this summer. And I want to jump into it. First John chapter 2. We'll pick up where uh, Rachel left off last week. First John chapter 2, we'll start with verse 7. I'll put it up on the screen. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I think that's a little weird, don't you? I mean, he starts with, uh, hey, beloved, which he, John uses all these little, like, terms of endearment for his, for his readers, for his, the church. He calls them beloved a lot. He calls my dear children. He'll, you'll, you'll read that throughout the letter. He uses this term of endearment, beloved, hey, guys, you know. Um, and and he, he says to them, uh, I'm not writing you an old, a, a new commandment. This is an old commandment. I'm trying to tell you something you, you already know. And then, like, a verse later, he goes, but it's a new commandment. I'm like, all right, you can't. You know, when people say the Bible's contradictory, it's like, it's like two verses apart. Like, you can't miss the fact that he just said, this isn't new, and then, then he goes, but it's new. And I'm like, what is that? Well, luckily, this isn't the only time he uses that exact language, because he doesn't say what the commandment is that he's talking about. But he writes three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A lot of people believe that 2nd John functions as like a cover letter to 1st John. And listen to how he describes it in 2nd John, almost the same wording. And now I ask you, 2nd John 1, uh, verse 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but as the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So he names it. Here's the commandment that he's talking about. We've had this from the beginning. And this commandment is old and it's new. If you had a Jewish background in that day, then this commandment is very old. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That idea is from Deuteronomy. It's from Moses. It's from 1,500 years before this was written. So that is a very old commandment. Love God, love your neighbor, that kind of thing. There are deep roots to that idea in Jewish thought. So when he says, this is not new, this is old, yeah, it's old. It's been around for a long time. But there is a new sort of nuance to it, or there's a new emphasis on it. Um, Jesus brings it up. Jesus talks about that same idea, and he highlights it, and he, and he takes it from being one of many commandments in the Old Testament, many laws, and he takes it and makes it central and says, this is the thing upon which I'm going to build the church. In John 13, so John writes the letters of 1 John when he's old in, late, in like 80s, 90s um, A.D., but earlier he wrote, uh, as he wrote the Gospel of John, reflecting on his early life with Jesus, he t reflected upon this final, the last supper that he has with Jesus and this, this long speech Jesus gives his disciples at dinner before he's crucified. And in that speech, he says this to them, John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, okay, it's a new one, here we go, that you love one another. Again, not new, old. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And maybe that's a a key distinction. He says, look, the nature of the community, the thing, if you, were to, if, you were to, if you were to cut the church and what bleeds out should be love. There's something in us that should come out. We are, we are to be the people of love, is, is what Jesus is saying. It's not a, it's not a law. It's not, we're not the people who keep the rules the best. We're not the people who are holier than thou. We are the people who are loving. That's the idea. That's the core. This is what he calls a, a new commandment. He has elevated that idea to a high place. Instead of our relationship with each other and with God being based on duty and law-keeping, it's now based on love. And Jesus says, I have shown you love, you receive it, and I want you to pass it on. This will be a mark of the community that you're passing on the love to one another. So, back to First John, what he tells the church. He's telling the church a, a defining characteristic of the community should be love. Now, this is tricky for us because... Um, I, can, I can use the word love, but I can't guarantee what you think of when I say it. And in fact, it's one of those words that if I put it out there, it's a many-splendored thing, right? Like the word love can just mean so many things in our current cultural context and, and, and moment, right? What are we actually talking about when we talk about love, because when I asked you the question in the beginning, where's the place that you went where you felt loved? What exactly did that mean? Did it mean that you walked in and you felt a warm feeling? Did it mean you walked in and nobody judged you or you didn't feel the judgment of people? Is that what love feels like? Um, what exactly are we talking about? Is love a warm feeling that warmed your heart? It might be. Um, I also think chocolate is that way, so it's a little confusing. Maybe love and chocolate are very similar. I think they are. Um, maybe, maybe love means radical acceptance to you. Oh, I, I, you, you love me when you accepted everything I do and believe, right? Because, we, because that's how we talk about it. We will say, oh, I went in there and I wasn't feeling the love. What do we mean? We mean I wasn't being accepted for my views, my viewpoint, exactly the way I was. So we, we, we say that. And so sometimes we'll say, well, it's unconditional love. We're saying it's love, but it has radical acceptance with it. Love with no strings attached. That's what we, that's what we mean. And so we have love to talk about so many things. We say we're in love, which means we can be out of love as if it's something you fall in and out of, which is a little bit confusing. Um, and, and, and there's just so many things on the list that we might love. We could say we love spouses and we love a certain kind of food and we love to travel and we love, you know, like learning. And there's just so many things we say we love, but we don't exactly mean the same thing about all of those things, do we? So we ask that word to carry a lot, a lot of weight. And I think it's important, especially as the people of the light that, that John will talk about, um, people who are trying to follow God closely to be a disciple of Jesus, it's important that we know what love is. We all think we know what love is. Even Forrest Gump was like, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is, right? We all, we all think we got it, but let's get, let's get a little clearer. Let's flesh it out since this is the summer of love. I think this is an area we can grow. And I think the stakes are high for us in the church because I think we should be some of the most loving people on the planet. Like people should see us and go, man, those people there in the church they love. And this is where um, 
I, I think First uh, Corinthians 13 can be useful. If you've, if you've gone to a wedding, you've probably heard First Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter in the, in the New Testament. And it's often um, read at weddings because it talks about what love is. But what I like about it is how concrete it gets. It doesn't say love is a feeling. It doesn't say love is warmth. It doesn't say love is chocolate. It gets very concrete about the, the behavior that love takes on, right? So listen to it. Let me read it to you. You've probably heard this before. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's tangible. How are you supposed to love your spouse, your girlfriend, your children, your coworkers, your mother? How are you supposed to love these people? What are you actually supposed to do? Are you supposed to just show up and feel warm? No, there's something else going on there, right, when we get tangible. And, and sometimes I struggle to figure out, like the rest of us, I struggle to figure out how do I be loving in this situation, if, especially if I think of love as a feeling, and love can be very vague. But 1 Corinthians 13 is not vague. It says specifically, love is patient, and kind. So, logically, if I'm going to be loving, I need to be patient and kind. So when I'm patient with my wife, I'm showing love towards her. When I'm kind to my coworkers, I am showing love towards them. When I, uh, says love is not proud or boastful, right? So when I can reign in my pride in front of other people, I'm not being a hothead, I am actually showing love towards them. Love is not irritable or resentful. You would think the longer you love someone, the less irritated you will be with them. Has anyone else experienced that to be the case? Like, you're in a relationship for a decade or two. Are you less irritated with them or more? Or does, like, they were adorable at first, but now even their mouth noises when they chew is like, could you stop being yourself for just a moment? Stop existing the way you do in the world because it's irritating to my being and my fibers of, like, right? Like, am I the only one? Right? It happens. Over time, it is easy to grow irritable and resentful, especially to people we're close to. You might, you might keep up a good front for outsiders, but for someone you're close to, it's easy to build uh, resentment and and this reminder from Paul, love is not irritable or resentful. Um, you have to fight against it. You have to do the work to grow in love that way. It says, love rejoices with the truth. This is terribly out of fashion right now. Um, we act as if love does not do that. We say love basically affirms what everybody wants to believe. Like, whatever you do, you, you're cool, it's fine. Whatever you believe, whatever you think, whatever you're doing, it's the only loving way I can be is to just say it's all good and you're fine. And the truth is, that's not how love works. And it even says that, like, I think it's probably weird for us to hear love and truth associated in the same sentence. Love rejoices with the truth. Why? Because when you and I live in accordance with the truth, it is the best thing for us. 
The way we flourish as humans is to align our lives with what is actually true about the world. God designed the world and ordered it a certain way. And when you live aligned with that ordering of the world, you will flourish. You will grow. It is your best shot at, insert the word here, best shot at happiness, fulfillment, joy, peace, whatever. It is your best shot at that when you live according to the truth. So to love someone is to celebrate when they are aligned with truth. That's the reality of it. You, you, don't, you don't use love to whitewash over falsehood. You actually, being loving is to tell the truth and to speak truth. Speak truth in love, right? You can do it a, a certain way. But it's not loving to lie to people. Love celebrates the, the truth. And that doesn't always feel great. It can be weird. Um, but when someone challenges us to live according to the truth, that doesn't mean they don't love us. Um, sometimes love looks exactly like a challenge. So those are some, that's getting more concrete. Those are like getting some handles on love, okay? Call them love handles, whatever. Um, so let's get, let's get back to it. First John chapter 2, this is what he says. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's this idea of light and darkness. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. That's a, a recurring theme in the book of 1 John. Um, and he basically says, look, if you, if you, love, if you love your brother, uh, you're walking in the light. Now, brother, sister, uh, that language is probably talking about people within inside the church. So he's talking about within the community, if you love people well in here, uh, in, in, this, in, in the community, in the community of faith, um, you're in the light, and, and you're following God. As they follow God, you're all in this light together. You're walking towards Jesus. Um, and if you're in the light, and you claim to be in the light, and you hate your brother, you're probably not actually in the light. You sh- there shouldn't be hatred existing between you. You're probably walking in, in darkness. Um, and he goes on this idea of, of sort of a hater, uh, of this person who is walking in darkness, and they, they've, been, they've been blinded by it. Um, and I think there's some implications uh, of that that we need to, uh, to, to think about. Uh, let me just give you three ideas of this, this whole text, and then we're done. Number one, we need to keep short accounts. In other words, we need to um, not hold grudges and not hold on to things for a long time, especially within the church, Okay. Uh, keep a short list of grievances and, and work them, get them, get them done quickly. Don't allow things to fester. Don't allow things to, to bubble up. Um, I, I had that with someone this week who pulled me aside and said, hey, you said this, and it frustrated me, and I just want to deal with it so it doesn't linger for, for, uh, between the two of us. That's the way you do it. You deal with these things quickly, and, and don't let them uh, don't let them go on. Don't let the uh, list of offense. Don't keep it a list of offenses of how other people have offended you, especially in the church. And sometimes it's going to happen. Sometimes in small group, you're going to say a thing that offends another person, or they're going to say a thing that offends you. And they said it because they're dumb and they're ignorant and they just don't understand the way the world works. And you get it. They don't get it. And they said it. And then you're hurt, right? And then sometimes, if we're honest, you said a thing because you're dumb and you're ignorant and you don't get it and you said the wrong thing. The challenge is you don't know which one is which. You don't know You don't know because everybody who said the dumb, ignorant thing thought they were saying the smart thing and that you're the dumb, ignorant person. It's very complicated. The tr- but, but let's just be humble 
and, and, and recognize that we all do it. Like, we all say things we wish we hadn't, and the toothpaste is out of the tube, and you can't get it back, and you wish you hadn't said that. You say things out of ignorance. Sometimes you just had a bad day. Some, you know, like, stuff happens. I have sat in small groups and had my wife say to me later, well, you offended this person when you said that. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know, you know. And then I have picked up on it sometimes when I'm like, this person just said that, and that person's going to be pretty upset about it. That's going to be awesome. Uh, and just, it's, it's tough. And this is why the church is reminded over and over in the New Testament to deal with this stuff, to don't let it linger. Uh, Jesus' brother James says, every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry angry. Settle the stuff quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't give in to gossip where you repeat the story over and over. You know, the church is, is odd because it's a, a radical experiment of pulling people together from different backgrounds and seeing if they'll just get along. Like, that has hardly happened in the history of the world. The world historically is pretty tribal, right? It, it, it even is today, like by nations. If, if I said to you, um, picture, someone, picture someone in your mind who's Japanese. You would imagine what a person might look like. If I say picture someone who's from Nigeria, you might imagine what that person looks like. And mostly you would be right, right? But if I said picture an American, well, that's, that's a thing, right? Like it's all over the place. It is a wild, tribal, everybody comes together from different groups, everybody looks different, has different backgrounds, preferences. And it, and. And we're living through the experiment of, is that going to work? Are people who are so different coming together, is that actually going to work? And as nations, it generally does not. Like, it, it, it eventually blows apart in some way. But the church has been this beautiful thing for a couple millennia where people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different belief systems, different uh, financial backgrounds, you know, these people have different worldviews and they come together under Christ and they work together and they figure out, hey, just because you're different than me, you're still my brother, you're still my sister. We are going to work together. That is a beautiful thing when it works well. But it's difficult, and for us, to, for it to actually work well, we have to keep short accounts. We can't, we can't be keeping long lists of the things people have done wrong for us. Number two, spend time on what love truly is. I would argue 1 Corinthians 13, and make a plan to walk it out. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, all that. That shouldn't just be interesting. It shouldn't just be head knowledge. Oh, oh, that's okay. Love is that. That's, that's cool. Uh, it actually needs to be practical. And this is one of the challenges for us, I think, in modern life is we're so used to studying things for a test and spitting out the knowledge that we were given so that we can pass the test that a lot of the things that we study don't sink into our, our heart and into our bones because we just had to know them and it didn't matter if we lived them out. How many facts about the world did you absorb through years of education that you, it don't, they don't go into your bones. They don't matter. You just know them and you spit them out. And we come to the scripture in the same way. Oh, love, what's love? Patient, kind. Is that on the test? All right, is it a multiple choice? Give me like patient, kind, and give me like a couple others. I can probably figure out which one of those don't belong. Is it like all of the answers above except D? Like that's kind of how we look at lists and information. And we don't think this is to be known in our heads. This is to be known in our hearts. This is to be in our hands and feet. This is to be the way we live. This is why uh, 
That's why John talks about, and he uses a very Jewish way of talking about this, that you will walk in this. People who are walking in the darkness have been blinded, is what he says. The, the walking idea is a, is a sort of this old Hebrew thing of like, no, it's not just head knowledge, it's not just heart, it's, it's the whole thing. You are walking it out. And so love needs to be walked out. It, it doesn't need to be just understood intellectually. It doesn't even need to be just felt. It needs to be walked out, and that's what we're going for. This is why when you came in, we gave you a card. Okay, you should have all, when you got in, you got a card. Um, it's 1 Corinthians 13, print it out. And it is there so that you will walk it out, not just know it, okay? So uh, you can take this card and you can put it on your fridge. Um, I think I'm going to put it uh, next to my alarm clock. Uh, those of you um, maybe who are younger than me, um, alarm clock is this thing that you put next to your bed that, <laughs> so you don't have to have a phone in your room. Um, so I'm going to put this next to my bed, next to my alarm clock, and um, because I want, to, I want to know it and have it memorized. And on the back, we put three questions for reflection. So it's not just, do I know the thing? But what am I doing with that today? How can I be with people in a loving way today? How can I be for people in a loving way today? And then what is one aspect of love that I will practice today? So to, to think in the morning, to set my intention, today I will be less irritable. That'd be a win for you, for many people around you. <laughs> like that would be a huge win at work or home or whatever. Today I will be not resentful. Today I'm going to put my pride in check. This is this is we printed this out so that you would have it, so that you could put it in front of you and practice it, walk it out, make a plan to live it out, and not just walk out of here and go, "Oh, love is nice. I learned a little bit about love." Um, it needs to be walked walked out. So spend time on what love truly is. I think 1 Corinthians 13 is a good example. And make a plan to walk it out. Like ask yourselves these questions in the morning. And then finally this, number three, pray for the haters. Pray for the haters. So John talks about people walking in darkness, and they don't know where they're going. Um, and I've seen this, I think this happens in our culture a lot. Um, I mean, we, we all know what it's like to walk into a dark room and at first, it's, like, hard to see anything because it's so dark, right? Like, almost pitch black, right? You walk into a dark room, you're like, I can't. And then what happens? Eventually, your eyes adjust, and they, they open up, I guess, to take in more light, and you can start to kind of see some things, and you can kind of make out where things are. And so you're kind of oriented. Even in the darkness, you can get a little bit of enough light to see where you're going. And you're adjusted. Well, what happens is someone comes in and switches on the light. Usually, you're dad or your mom for school in the morning, right? They flip on the light, and then you're like, it hurts you, right? The, the light actually hurts you because you're like, ugh, like I'm already adjusted to the darkness. And I think culturally, um, that's, where, that's where we go. We wander, like he says, we, we become blind. We're so used to the darkness, we, we sort of stumble around, the, and the light hurts us. We are a little bit like Bane from The Dark Knight, one of the best movies ever, well, at least the other one was, but this one was good too. Bane, who says, oh, so you think darkness is your ally, but you merely adopted the dark. I was born and molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man, but then it was nothing to me but blinding. Remember? Remember the scene he, they're fighting? Them? Excellent. Make it a viewing today. Uh, watch it with subtitles on because he's hard to understand. That's what I'm saying. All right. Um, 
that idea, right? You're born in the darkness. You're molded by it. And I think that culturally, that's a lot of where we are. We are born into things. We don't even see them anymore. We're so molded by it. We're so used to, this is the way it is, what everyone believes. The sound of walking in darkness and living in the darkness is when we say, I mean, everybody believes this, right? That's what it sounds like. That's what walking in darkness sounds like. We all believe this. I mean, everybody knows that insert the cultural expectation of the popular current cultural thing here. That's what it sounds like to walk in the darkness. And so we need to be uh, aware of that. Um, There's a lot of darkness and blindness because of that in our culture. I I don't know if it's worse now. I think think algorithms and um, how they're used with computers and, you know, in, in comes AI. Like, I think these are real challenges for humanity. Um, is it worse than ever before? I don't know. I mean, I think if you were in Germany in the 1930s, um, you were walking in darkness and you didn't know. You didn't know how, how blind you were. Maybe you knew, maybe you didn't, but there was some darkness going on and, and you didn't necessarily see it. So I don't know if this is the worst ever. It's been bad before. It'll be bad again. Um, there's ebbs and flows to these things in, in history. Uh, but John tells the church that people will be deceived and they will be haters and they will walk in darkness and they will have this upside-down view of the world. Um, and I think the Christian response is always to love the haters, which is so unlike what we think we should be doing. We should be hating the haters, right? But the Christian response is to love the haters. And John knows this because he wrote it down in the book of John. That Jesus said it in John chapter 6 where Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That's hard. Pray for those who are on, the, on your bad side. Pray for those who hurt you, who messed with you, who, who you have a bad history with. That's what we're called to do. As a form of loving them, we're called to pray for them. This doesn't mean that people have persecuted you or hurt you or messed with you in the past or sinned against you. It does not mean you will be best friends with them. You may not be friends with them ever again. You may not be in a relationship with them ever again, but you can pray for them. And it may not change them. You may pray that they will get their head on straight and that God will get a hold of them and change their lives. And that may never, ever happen as long as you're alive. You may never see that change. But you praying for them may change you. And it may help you to not grow resentful and bitter. Man, this is challenging stuff from John. There's a lot of um, uncomfortable truths in here. I mean, if, if, we're, if we're really called to love well, we're going to have to do it for people who are unlovable. Everybody can love people who are good and kind and nice and rich or friendly or fun or whatever. It's easy to love. The, the real test of love then comes when they're hard to love. Any of you who are parents and have raised children know that kids are amazing and pretty hard to love at times because they mess things up, all the things. And it doesn't matter their age, the, you know, different sort of challenges at different stages. But sometimes parenting can feel like a one-way love where you are loving them and doing for them and sacrificing for them, and it is not entirely reciprocated. Um, and just exert, observing that dynamic makes you appreciate your own parents a little more. You're like, oh, someone did this for me too. Oh, man, okay, I bet I was tough. Um, but you love them, and you grow in your capacity as you love them through hard things and what feels like a one-way love, as you do that over time, you grow in your capacity for love and you get a little appreciation for what God does for us. God, our Heavenly Father, loves us 
even when we are difficult. Um, and that is a beautiful thing. So um, I opened by telling you about the church that I grew up in. And, and um, I think ultimately my hope is that this church is like that, in that uh, it's a loving place. That when, when you go to a summer of fun event, when you go to a women's, uh, a women's night out, when you go to a, a Bible study, when you go to uh, a small group, when you walk into the bird theater, when you drop your kids off, when your kid comes to uh, student ministry, um, in all of these environments where we're together, my hope and prayer is that you feel the love. Um, I think as a church, we've been decent at it at times, but I think we can always be better at it and, and sort of elevate our, our game that way. Um, and that's not going to happen because I said so in a sermon. It's not going to happen because a couple leaders are demonstrating the way. That, that always helps. But really, the, this church will be as loving as the people in the church decide to be. To everybody take the responsibility to go, I'm going to walk this thing out. And I'm going to get serious about not being irritable and resentful. And I'm going to, you know, check my pride. And I'm going to be patient and kind when we are when every person in the church says, this is who I'm going to be, the community, this community changes, and I think people will be um, drawn to it and attracted to it. Let's pray. Lord, help us to walk out love and not just talk about it, not just hear about it, not just spend a summer on it, but this needs to be a lifelong, almost obsession to be the people of love in the community, to be people who are... um, who are uh, dialed into you and who are actively thinking about how can I be more loving to my husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, best friend, coworker, teacher, mom, soccer coach. Like where can I, who's in my life today and how can I be more loving to them? God, may we uh, take the words of 1 Corinthians 13 to heart and apply them, walk them out um, in, our, in our day-to-day lives uh, and God, may that, may we, if we haven't been doing it, may we start that this week. We will ask ourselves the questions of where, do, where am I going to do this? We will set our intention in the morning, and we will do this uh, this week. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.